Yeah, great to be back preaching in my home church. Uh, I gave an account uh, last Sunday of the uh, various places I've been all over the world in the first part of this year. Um, So I'm going to get straight into preaching on this occasion. So we're continuing our series entitled Jesus the Game Changer from the Gospel of Luke. The Gospels are the first four books of what we call the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, which explain all about the life of Jesus. You've got four different accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and I'll be dipping into other parts of that, so, but we're going to focus on what Luke had to say about uh, the story that I'm going to read. And it's interesting, this word game changer, because it's not a word I've generally used, really. Uh, but ever since the title was given to this series, it seems on the radio and on TV and everywhere else, people are always talking about game changers. I'd never noticed that before. Uh, maybe it's because I'm not here very much. <laughs> but uh, so obviously, it's very much a word that is being used today that, ah, oh, yeah, that, oh, that was a real game changer. That really ch- yeah, changed things. And so it's a great title for the ministry of Jesus, which really did that. And we're going to look at two stories which Jesus told, often referred to as parables. The word parable in the original language could mean either a story with a meaning or a proverb or saying. And it's actually uh, used in both ways in the Bible. And uh, and so we'll be looking at one of those, one of the best known of Jesus' stories that appears in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And then Jesus tells a shorter story about a lamp, which as we will see, helps the understanding of part of his message in the first story about the parable of the sower. Well, why are these stories game changers? Before we get on to them. Three reasons I'm going to give you. I usually start my preaching with the story rather than the list. But this time I don't want to get stuck in on my own traditions. And so I'm going to give you the list of things first. Firstly, because they are stories about how God's kingdom increases. Now, that's a bit technical language, really. What do we mean, God's kingdom increasing? If uh, we're not talking about a geographic area, we're talking about the dynamic ruling of Jesus through our lives into every situation in which we are. Changing the world through bringing the life, love, and power of Jesus into every situation. That's what we mean by kingdom. Okay? It's not a geographic area like the United Kingdom. If we talk about that extended, we get a little bit 
into empire and all that sort of stuff. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about how it increases. And this was, these were, what Jesus taught was a game changer for the people of that day because their understanding of God's kingdom coming was totally different. They were shocked when Jesus came because they were all expecting that this expression, the kingdom of God, was very familiar to them. But they'd misinterpreted what that meant. And they thought it was going to be a political thing, a military establishment of a... Of, because they were an occupied country at the time. They were occupied by the Roman Empire. And they thought, when the kingdom comes, the Romans will be overthrown and we will become effectively top nation and all the other nations will bow down to us. That's how they thought. So when Jesus came, he said, on the one hand, he did things that showed he was like the Messiah, the one they were expecting to bring the kingdom. He healed the sick. He spoke with authority. But he also said things that didn't fit with their perception. And he said, you know, love your enemies. Love them. Is that the kingdom? So he started telling stories about the kingdom. And he says, and that's what... And they were expecting a kingdom of power rather than a kingdom of love. We want to see people saved and brought into the kingdom of love and experience the gracious rule of Jesus now. Now there's a danger for Christians in some parts of the world to be like that a bit now. They expect political movements to bring the kingdom of God. Now we rejoice in in Christians who are involved in politics. I'm I'm not undermining that. We applaud that and pray for it but now even the word evangelical which means a bible believing Christian which I love has now in some parts of the world become a political word and so we can't use it very easily because people will misunderstand what we stand for and this is so it was a game changer in their thinking also it's a game changer because these stories are optimistic and full of faith. <laughs> okay, now you can be optimistic just as a, some people have a sort of a sunny disposition, you know, they <laughs> always glass half full people. So it's more than that. It's full of faith that God is working. But in, because of that, because we're full of faith, these stories are optimistic. And my prayer is that we will be optimistic and full of faith for this next season of Woodside's history as a church. Involved plant, towards planting another site in the West while continuing with two services here. But thirdly, it's a game changer because these stories are realistic. They show life as it really is. They are if you're, they are optimistic, not triumphalistic. That is, they don't say everything's going to be absolutely fine because we know we all go through times that aren't fine. Maybe some exceptions here. But <laughs> all of us, and so we're realistic as well. And so we want you to be realistic about the progress of God's kingdom as well as optimistic. So let's read it. 
One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable, which I explained, to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planned. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I'll have to call that out at the beginning of this preach as well, you know. <laughs> Please listen and understand. The disciples asked him what this parable meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand, which sounds terribly contradictory. I'll explain that later, okay? This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation or testing. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. No one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who are listening to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. Okay, well, what's the story then? We've read it. Now let me speak it in other words and explain it. Firstly, the parable of the sower. Jesus was on a tour of the towns and villages of Galilee in northern Israel and crowds were following him. Many people had gathered from many of those towns. In Matthew's and Mark's accounts, Jesus was sitting by the sea or in an inlet in the Lake of Galilee to teach because those inlets became natural amphitheatres where you could preach to crowds without PA because the PA wasn't actually open to them in those days. And so um, and they probably saw a man scattering seed. Certainly a picture everybody in that countryside will be familiar with. And the fields would have been crisscrossed by paths. Now, you could walk, in those days, there were lots of paths where you could walk through the fields. You know, if you go for a country walk in England, you usually have to walk around the outside of the field. 
even if it was a footpath going through the middle at one time, they've sort of re-rooted it round the outside so you don't spoil the crops. Well, those days the paths went through. Why? So that the poor could walk through and just take the fruit or the grain because that was part of God's provision, you know. As long as you didn't take so much that you could sell it in the market, you could take enough for your own needs. So there were these paths going through. And some of the seed fell on the paths. And the birds came and took them away. Then, in other parts, there were rocks just under the surface. It was very rocky countryside there. And some were sown in rocky places and had no root. And so as soon as the sun came out, it withered. They were sowing before the rain. The rains came twice a year. It was very important that you, uh, you sowed at the right time. That's like it is in most of the world. We don't have to worry too much about that in the UK. But the, um, already in the soil were seeds of thorns. So that when the new seeds grew, the thorns grew as well, and the weeds, and choked the new plants. Well, that's what he said. The disciples asked Jesus later for an explanation. But first, there was the difficult bit to understand. Jesus said he spoke in parables so that others wouldn't understand. Now that's... Sounds crazy. I always thought, didn't you? Jesus told good stories so that people would understand. So why does he say that on this occasion? And Jesus did often use stories for that reason. However, many people by this time were amazed at the miracles of Jesus, fascinated by his teaching, but unwilling to change their lives or their worldview about the kingdom that I explained at the beginning. So Jesus started to teach in parables which people could only understand if they were really willing to follow him. Jesus taught powerful stories to change people's worldview, their whole way of looking at life. And yet you also need a worldview change to really understand. Get it? Hello? You follow me? If you don't, say and I'll say it again. Okay. Those who genuinely followed were given an explanation. As you follow, you learn more. That's often the way with Christian faith. You know, you, you, you're attracted by it. A saviour who loves you, who wants to change your life, but you don't fully understand everything. And so often you need to take the step, and then you suddenly find it all makes sense as you follow. So what is the parable teaching then well as the Christian gospel the good news about Jesus and his death on the cross for us that we've heard about as that's preached around the world for some people there's no response lands on the path birds take it away just okay that happens for other people There's an emotional response. I've sadly seen this so many times. People who rush to respond to the gospel. It's so exciting. And then difficulties arise. 
in their circumstances, like we heard about in the, during the worship of difficult circumstances. Praise God, Sarah, you didn't give up at that point. Okay. But when difficulties come, or persecution, or opposition, enthusiasm disappears as quickly as it appeared originally. For others, there was a preoccupied response. In other words, and this, I'm using this word in two senses, the ground was preoccupied with seeds of other th- weeds. And Jesus explains this, that as the seed grows, the weeds do. You get a good stalk of wheat, but no ears of corn. The me- we receive the message, okay, but then, oh, we're so busy. So materialistic. So much happening. All these pressures in our family. Our lives are literally preoccupied. Jesus describes it as cares, riches, and pleasures. Now, there's nothing, now we all have cares. There's nothing wrong if God blesses you with riches. And there's nothing wrong in having a bit of fun sometimes as well. But if they occupy you instead of the word of God leading your life, then it becomes a problem. And they crowd it out. And then some falls on good ground. Those who believe the word of God is the most important thing in the world and we need to bring our lives in tune with his kingdom. They are the people who understand, according to Matthew, they understand this. Or according to Luke, they persevere. They keep on going. Now the harvest here is amazing. I've read, because I'm not an expert in ancient agriculture, but or modern agriculture for that matter, but I've read that the normal yield in Palestine at that time would have been a yield of... 10 to 15 times what was sown. Here, it's 100 times. This is great. This is amazing. This is the result of the the word of God. It produces 100 times. Is it unrealistic? No, it seems best, this is what the commentator said, then to treat the yields in the parable as extraordinary, but not as fantastic. In other words, impossible, a fantasy. It's not that. The yield is not typical of Palestinian agriculture, but neither is it beyond one's wildest imaginings. But it's extraordinary. That's what the word of God does. It produces extraordinary fruit. Okay. The story still raises some questions. Why on earth was the sower not more careful? I mean, most people in those days would only have a few seeds to sow. They were poor. So they would be very careful where the seeds went. Well, this guy just throws it everywhere. Okay. Why wasn't he more careful? It, 
as those people were listening, this would not have been normal. The seed went everywhere. You'd be careful. Maybe one or two would drop on the path, but you'd make sure that most didn't. And you knew where the rocky places were. And that the person I'd quoted just now went on to say, we conclude that the sowing procedure envisaged is not typical. Just as the yield is extravagant, so is the sowing practice. There's an unusual generosity. Almost a joyous, joyous abandon about the sower's technique. He's not eking out a living just with a few things. But sowing seed of extraordinary, and forgive me, commentators always like long words. Okay, they don't want to make things too simple. Extraordinary fecundity, that means, produces a lot of fruit. Okay, you've you learned a new word as well today. He feels no need to apportion carefully his supply of seed grain. He will soon have almost more than he knows what to do with. He just went for it. Don't you love that? Oh, you're responding. That's good. You are. You're getting there. Come on, getting there. I normally preach in places where people do respond, you know. I loved it yesterday in the, when that African-American preacher was preaching. And he was looking for a response. He would be used to people saying, preach it, brother. Go, amen, amen. Say it again, brother. He would have been used to that. And <laughs> he got that. Even when he tried to help them, he said, how many of you travelled here by car? <laughs> it was a brilliant preach, but I felt sorry for him at that stage. Okay, I know what he feels like though, because I preach in places like that sometimes, even here occasionally. <laughs> but you're doing much better than the first service, okay? <laughs> you see, God does this. Today is the day of Pentecost, when we remember when God sent the Holy Spirit to the church. When he did that, he sowed loads of seed. It was amazing. He poured out his spirit. 3,000 people came to Christ. And for a while, daily, people were added to their number who were being saved. It's amazing. It's rich. It's generous. Come on, on today of Pentecost, let's expect that as well. Let's expect the pouring out of God's Spirit, the speaking of God's Word, because Pentecost was Word and Spirit. Preach powerfully. You understand? Yeah, okay. And this parable happens whenever we hear the Word of God. It's not just those who are not believers yet. All of us. Many of us have heard the word of God many times. Right now, the parable of the sower is being enacted. <laughs> For some of you, oh, when is he going to finish? Okay. <laughs> some get really excited, but then, ah, oh, life's difficult. <laughs> Others, yeah. 
start to grow, but then pressures come, cares and riches, choke it. But some of you are good soil and you're going to produce amazing amounts of fruit. You, You believe that? Okay. So, what does that mean for what we're about? Church planting across the world, sharing the gospel, making disciples. I've got permission to go on an extra few minutes because the worship did, I think. Okay. Firstly, you cannot repeal the parable of the sower. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom's like. Sometimes we wish it was otherwise. We wish some of it didn't go on hard ground and the birds take it away. We wish people didn't have an emotional response. It's so painful when people have an emotional response and seem to be so excited and then... So be realistic. This is what it's always like. Don't get discouraged when you share the gospel that that happens. But as you sow the seed of the truth about Jesus, you are guaranteed fruitfulness. Some will fall on good ground and will produce fruit. And some will be very fruitful, a hundredfold. Matthew says some 30, some 60, some 100. Luke just goes for the big one. Okay, a hundredfold. He ignores the 30 and the 60. Come on, we're Luke today. So, the thing is, as you're sharing the word of God, you don't know which will be good ground. So share it abundantly everywhere. Some may get offended. Some may get too busy. Some may buckle under persecution. So sow lots of seed and make disciples of as many as are willing. What's the main difference between the seed on the path and category four, the good ground? Well, it's patience and perseverance. I don't like that so much. I prefer excitement. Yes, you get excitement, but you get the fruit as you're patient and persevere. The Bible often talks about farmers in that context. They're hardworking and they wait for the crop. So spell out the cost of following Jesus as well as the joys at the beginning. So Jesus did. He said, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. In other words, it's tough. You may have to suffer. I shared last week about places I've been to where Christians were, came, came to faith and then were driven out of their villages. Living in the jungle. Christians trying to get food to them. They weren't allowed back home because they'd followed Christ. But there's fruit there. Discipleship is a journey. At some point on the journey, people are born again and baptized. And then journey continues. It's a journey before and it's a journey afterwards. We need to persevere on that journey. And discipleship continues through to fruitfulness. Growing in understanding and putting it into practice. 
So what sort of soil are you? Don't think about anybody else for a moment. What sort of soil are you? Will the truth of this parable be a game changer for you to make you good ground? And then, just briefly, he tells a story about a lamp. Jesus says, you don't put a lamp under a bowl. You would only do that to extinguish it, to deny it oxygen when it was oil lamps. Put a bowl on top so light goes out. No, you want a light, welcoming house to attract people in. That's what we want to do both in the east and west sites of Woodside in the future. Be a light, welcoming house in, in a place where there's no electricity and you see a lamp burning in a house. You say, ah, oh, I'd be welcome there. I can go there, they're still up. Those already in the house should be living attractive lives of godliness and love, bearing witness to the one who saved us. And verse 17 is very important. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. Jesus is saying all secrets eventually come out. Negative ones? Seeing that a lot in the news today, aren't we? Things negative sins of people people who have abused others in the past eventually comes out but it's also intended here positively because it's the God's heart that the secrets of the kingdom that he disclosed to his disciples would be spread openly all across the world and Paul's writings, he keeps saying, I want you to understand my insight into the mysteries of the kingdom of God, which is that every nation will not only be reached, but united with each other in Christ. That's the plan of God. That's the love of God. That's, again, what the preacher yesterday was speaking about when he took love beyond marriage to the sacrifice of Jesus to change the world. So, we need to apply this conclusion. We need to apply this parable in two ways. Firstly, how do we listen to the word of God? How have you done today? And are we sowing the word of God liberally? Throw it out. Now, you don't do it by confrontational evangelism. That doesn't work now, if it ever did. You know, you do it like Jesus did here. He wasn't being confrontational. He told stories. He won people's attention with his stories. That's how you do it. You win people. You don't just say believe or else. You know, it doesn't work. You win people by the way you speak 
and by the light of your life. That's why the second parable is also important. So, these are good questions then for Woodside in its next phase as we work towards planting a new site in the west and by faith continuing to grow in the east. Understand? This is it. Okay. So, I want to pray for us. Maybe I'll bring one or two words to people. I did earlier. But let's just be open to the abundance of the Spirit of God on this Pentecost day. Can we stand? If you can. If you can't stand, don't worry. Not compulsory. If you'd like to stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that there's abundance available to us. Thank you that when you throw the seed out, you throw abundance of it. And and there's words, uh, not time to give lots of individual words, but I believe some of the things I've been saying are also for others here. Thank you, Lord. Father, bless us, we pray. Lord, I ask, let us know abundance. Thank you, that's what your word does. We bless your name together. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. And if you want particular prayer, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you want particular prayer, there'll be people to pray for you for healing or for other things or for financial issues that have been highlighted today.